Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I'm Elias. And we are coming to you with our first ever bonus episode. Yeah. Yes. As you know, we just finished up the finale. Um, we kind of slowed down a little in August just because we had a bunch of other, other real life going stuff on. going yeah. on. But we wanted to get you guys some content in between seasons here. So we're hoping that we'll get a couple bonuses and then our award show out before season two which will start in october yeah so we just thought of a couple ideas for bonus episodes of things that we feel like needed to be talked about a bit more in the show and one of the ideas that we came to first was um talking about the romantic interests in don's life yes and we have talked about kind of like ranking them. I mean, not, you know, just like which ones have you liked the best? Which ones resonate with you? Which ones are like the most powerful characters? Yeah, most compelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you've watched the show before, you know that there are more of them as the seasons go on. Right. So this is a perfect bonus episode because this one's relatively tight this yeah. season. And yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a few parameters. There's a reason we're kind of limiting it to romantic interests right. romantic and sexual interests so that means no peggy yes despite her attempt in episode one i mean that was that was just I like a, that it, was like a work like was, that was like a trying to progress in your job yeah move. it wasn't, wasn't very ro- wasn't very romantic it was an assumed part of her job i guess yeah and and of course no joan so we're cutting out two of the most compelling characters because their relationship to don is not what we're interested in in this bonus it's not that the other women in mad men aren't compelling characters and in fact peggy and joan as the big examples are some of the most compelling and my favorite characters i don't think anyone listening is gonna accuse us of not going in depth on peggy or joan but this episode is for the ladies of don's life yeah a couple of (laughs) in this season three characters in particular that i think merit a bit more discussion in their relationship to don as well as the relationship to the the show. Yeah, and what it's saying about the time the right. time that they're in. And I think that's enough of an intro before we get into our first ranking. Oh, and I did want to apologize for the audio quality of the finale episode. I think we explained that like somehow we recorded the whole thing without like having the microphone volume up, so it's really rough, but we've sorted that problem out and so sorry. Please bear with us in our amateur issues that yeah, we have we but. are still learning so, so we'll keep this short and light and casual um we don't have any specific prepared drink for this though christina is drinking some white wine yeah um, the work day is over 501 p.m i'm drinking <laughs> yeah. some white wine so let's go ahead and start with the countdown of the don draper romantic interests for yes, season the one. ladies so if we're going for like favorite characters i guess is like the well, do we want to flesh out exactly what we're ranking here? I know you talked about it a bit, but really we're looking at most compelling character, and you can really put whatever mm-hmm. metric you want into that. Yeah. Uh, it's a combination. Yeah, uh, I have a hard time between my one and two, but my number three is Midge, um, Don's beatnik lady that we see him with in the first like half of the season. It's actually our first entree into seeing that Don is a bit of a a bit of a cad cheating on his wife yeah that picturesque 
uh, image at the end of season one shows that Midge is in fact the mistress and right. not just some a girl that he's yeah. seeing. Um, I agree. I think she's number three of the of the three. I mean, we we open with her. We meet her before we meet Betty. Yeah. And we end with her taking a. Is it a five thousand dollar check from Don? The I bonus. I can't remember. But after it... Don's big argument with the rest of the the beatniks. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it equated to about twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, well, I don't think that she even like, she passively was given it. She yeah. didn't like. She wasn't like, oh, you know, I'll take that. Right. We don't know what the fate of that after check Paris. Is, yeah. The check in Roger Sterling. We don't know what the fate is at the end of season one. That's on <laughs> mm-hmm. the unanswered questions list. But I think that she's more of an avatar for like a very fascinating subculture of mm-hmm. this era that directly conflicts with the idyllic 50s vibe that right. we're still living in here and it really just serves to show some insight into that counterculture in this era as well as maybe don's restlessness mm-hmm. yeah with the rest of his life you don't give midge a lot of other stuff to work with right yeah um and i think just too like the scenes where they are you know together really just emphasizes how entrenched don is in like the trappings of like the normal like professional expectation life because he's kind of put in these situations where he's in comparison but it also it also gives don depth you know and not to say that women are devices for developing male character traits in general but in that what i'm going to posit in this situation is that seeing how don interacts with her and her world and that he's like really game to like go to a poetry reading and to like you know shoot the shit with like these beatnik types shows that don kind of has like you said like a dis a discord with his life and also that he has kind of some depth where he's wanting more and open to exploring other ways of life Right. Though, to be fair, I think he did only go to that poetry reading, number one, to flex on the other guy, and number two, because Midge said she wouldn't wear underwear. And she didn't. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. But other than that, Midge is there. We've talked about how she serves as a good intellectual counterpoint for him. She can verbally spar with him, and she does mm-hmm. in all her scenes, but she doesn't get any scenes without Don. Yeah. In the entire right, And she's not season. a character except in relation to him. Right. And she vanishes pretty early mid-season probably and without like much ado yeah i mean she denies a trip to paris with don draper i'm gonna cancel her for that reason i think (laughs) i fired her in that episode (laughs) so that's all you need to know about midge is she really but to her credit she does believe in like a true like non-consumerist approach if you are like you couldn't give one shit or another whether you're going on a trip with like a millionaire to paris that you're into your yeah deep in in the same episode it's clear her friends drove all the way to mexico for some weed but she won't go to paris for free but (laughs) so it definitely is yeah it's like a value system you know showing right and it's not looked upon very nicely by the writing either i think and that makes sense because it's a lot of it's from don's perspective but none of the beatniks we meet including midge come off as the most sympathetic or like even likable characters through yeah. this scene. And I don't know if that's, you know, the show's never shot through the like eyeball lenses of Dawn, but mm-hmm. it does carry 
it follows him. Yeah, it, and that's something we will talk about more, I think, is the writing and the voice of the show. Is this a Draper narrative yeah. to an extent? Is this a memoir? What What is the is, is the show trying to be objective in everything it shows? I, it's interesting. You yeah. know, that's something that doesn't get considered a lot in TV shows where there's no narrator, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that's where we are with Midge, really. It's Yeah. And what I mean, one other thing I'll add though is they do give her some kind of like interesting like points of like having internal conflicts or hypocrisies that, you know, she's kind of faced with. Like she said she didn't want a TV, but once she gets a TV, she's into it, except for then, you know, she's on a whim willing to just like throw that out. Um, and then like with Dawn, she's carrying on this affair with him for months and months, at least. We don't really know how long, but for quite a while. But then, you know, when he mentions Betty, she she's like, I don't want to talk about that. That makes me feel cruel. So, you know, it's just kind of interesting, the kind of different, that even though she's not following in the prescribed, like, societal expectations, she still has, like, this, you know, different morality and self-reflection compared to Don who literally does not give a shit that he's cheating on Betty. Right. It's like a partially and I think this is the beatniks evolving, you know, this is kind of that partially formed subversion mm-hmm. where they have certain ideas and this is a gross generalization and it's not just aimed at her but you know, it's when the countercultures have some ideas of what they're rebelling against but not necessarily a fully formed idea of what they're what they actually want mm-hmm. and that comes out as well i'm against this but you're still leaning on certain guardrails of established society that yeah. you probably grew up in and that's you what still you need a tv against. in the 60s yeah. right and when someone says something about it you have to prove your you know your cred yeah and you toss that tv out the window which again dangerous dangerous dangerous, dangerous. one of yeah, the more dangerous plays in the season yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's midge yeah, we won't see her again for a while. Will we see her ever again, even? We know the answer. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, who would you rank as number two? So, yeah, like I said, I have a lot of trouble with one and two. But I think that I'm going to go, and it's, like I said, it's really close, but I think that I'm going to go with Rachel is two and Betty is one. And that's, for me, that's because of the growth and development I see in Betty over the season, but not a diss on Rachel. Cause she's so like strong and like, you know, confident and self-minded throughout. But so her journey to me isn't as interesting in this season. That's fair. I have them reversed. Yeah. Um, but I do too. have to go ahead and issue a revision of my statements in the first couple episodes of our show where I criticized both January Jones and the writers mm. for the show for not properly putting the efforts needed into Betty's character when, as the season goes on, there's a lot of growth and dynamic mm-hmm. development of the character that I had just forgotten, I think. And, well, and so well, I think that they that was a purposeful choice early on to have her be the cardboard TV character. You yeah, know, leave Mrs. it to Bieber. Mrs. Cleaver, yeah. yeah. And turn into, you know, start to develop some more layers as this whole season, I think one of the main themes is about 
slowly growing uncomfortable with the life you've supposed to be settling into, especially yeah, for Don and Betty. After. And I think they do a really good job of doing that slowly with Betty mm-hmm. while she's basically stuck through the whole show and awesoming. Yeah. Except for the few times she gets to go to see her therapist. And we know how that ended as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have opposites. Yeah, so we could talk about either one. Yeah, so who do you want to start with? I um, guess we should just go with Betty. Let's go ahead and talk about. with what she brings. I was just so struck by her ability to, you know... I mean, it's hard. It's one thing it's hard to, like, recognize when you're unhappy, when you're, like, complacent, and you should think that you should be happy. And so she is able to kind of give enough self-reflection to see past that and to not just, like, assume, well, I got what I wanted, so I should be good with this. I'm just going to move on. And even, like, her, you know, kind of pushing back on Dawn about, like, I want to go to therapy and, like, you know, this isn't working. I'm going to, like, confront you about having an affair. You know, these are all moves that are take a lot of effort for her but she pursues them because it's important for her right and what's interesting is they happen and are like jump-started by a lot of really weird and bizarre like occurrences or experiences be it uh, air conditioner salesman the whole thing with glenn Glenn, bishop um, or francine coming in the last episode yeah and you know betty starts off as really kind of like just the she's like the you know like we said she's miss june cleaver in the first few episodes we get that speech pretty early on with dawn when they're in bed about how she wakes up every morning and thinks about him nonstop all Mm -hmm. day every day and she's like that devoted wife right and slowly we see that start to come apart for her based on just living in suburbia yeah which i guess goes to show that you know, even when you're isolated in the home, which was the objective, I think, of mm-hmm. post-war. Yeah. <laughs> that whole mentality. Goal, yep. You still get glimpses of why it's still so dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kudos to her for, in the last episode, um, coming together and, and making that power move with the therapist, calling Yeah. after <laughs> calling him and putting this in his minds to get it to Don. Yeah. Non-confrontationally. Right. And she, yeah, I mean, you can see in a lot of ways, she's still kind of like working within like the ways that are, the things that are familiar to her. So like interaction with like other women in the neighborhood is like a way that she can kind of explore like, you know, how they feel about the things going around that, going on around them, how she feels about like Helen as kind of threatening. So she's still like finding ways within her own reality to kind of, explore what else is out there and explore the limits of of her situation right and what we see from her it's similar to what we see from from trudy in a way that these women are in a different sphere and like we said these three women all represent very different class and you know like backgrounds and like like situations yeah 60s socially and and I don't even think we're in the 60s yet. I'd argue we're still in the 50s with how everyone's acting. We're slowly peeling away from that. Mm-hmm. But they know what they're really good at. And you see them thrive at that. And a lot of times Betty's is, you know, projection. Yeah. And then using whatever she learns through her perfect projection. How many times does Francine call her perfect? 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's the whole yeah. thing is, that's why it's so interesting because she's like known to be the, you know, the best hostess, the best dressed, the most beautiful and still right. is unhappy because that's, you know, she's learning that that's not what it takes to, to feel content. Yeah, we see it come apart in real time and mm-hmm. during this season. And that's what's so interesting. You know, commend the show in writing Betty now. I do, at least, yeah. based on letting her evolve out of that caricature. Um, and, you know, there's there was a there's a show that could have been made where Betty is the oblivious housewife forever. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't have any real agency... And doesn't try to, mm-hmm. um, just like a you know they could have made a show where it's uh, like I said in the last episode, it could have just been a you know a build up to a big ad presentation every week, yeah, or a build yeah. up to every a week, new mistress it's every like house, week. Like yeah, he exactly. solves the case, yeah. But the show doesn't do that. Instead, we just get three women this season that each interact with Don differently and grow with Dawn differently. And what we see from Betty that's so interesting is she goes from revolving around the, the sun that is Dawn mm-hmm. uh, to kind of breaking off and... Yeah. yeah. Expanding her orbit. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I think so that... No longer the Teletubby sun with Dawn's face on waking up every morning. <laughs> what a nightmare, but also a dream. Christina <laughs> would be the first Teletubby up every morning. I'd sit up upright in my bed at 6 a.m. <laughs> ready to start the day um and i do wanted to point out like i think that january jones like her performance is so like subtle in like adopting the mannerisms of someone that was raised their whole life to think that being beautiful and being a you know a trophy wife is like their objective that even while she's like really struggling with this stuff like you can just see like the it's like she's got a ruler taped to her back and just like you can watch her her face like considering how how do I look doing this like how is this going to appear like it's so true to that character yeah I think. that's a great point it's a performance inside a performance which it doesn't mm-hmm. get a lot of credit early on it's when we start to see the cracks where that performance goes away a la basically indirectly threatening that she poisoned Dawn in the kids. <laughs> Those kind of moments where yeah. she's like, "There's no, there's no need for that performance. This is what I, who I am." You know, yeah, taking that gun really. out and shooting at the neighbor's pigeons. Yeah, it's those moments that are like, you're like, "Oh dang!" Like, yeah, she's, she's like, got some grit, right? And that everything else it was in a lot of ways an act, that, and like so controlled but on purpose. That yeah. we learn that, and we can infer from the show that her mother, like. It sounds like her to... mentally and emotionally abused into her as a child from yeah. an early age, which you don't get that. Those hints get dropped throughout the whole season, um, which is why Betty's character grows in such a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think that Betty is number two in this season because the character that presses and has the most unique interactions with Dawn is Rachel, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. And that's because... That's how the show is building in a lot of ways. Again, we have this completely unique character as evidenced by the repeated ethnic slurs uttered by everyone else in the office. Yeah, she's definitely coming at it from a a point where she's had to struggle a lot to... And because she's a woman in the workforce, and I think that's too... She's showing this like idea of like women 
not just during wartime, but entering the workforce in, you know, in earnest and the assumptions and challenges that come along with that in addition to, you know, being Jewish and the assumptions and challenges that come along with that right. when you're dealing with, like, a bunch of waspy Fifth Avenue types. In that way, she's the exact counterpoint to Betty. Mm-hmm. Her performance is the exact opposite of Betty, a strong, independent businesswoman. Yeah. And her moments of vulnerability are exactly what I guess you would say is like a stereotypical 50s woman looking yeah. for a relationship. She goes, she gets kind of softer. She gets a little bit more, um, you know, like she's not trying to take, take the lead in the situation. Right. Um, but the moment she has, she gets a few scenes without Dawn even with her sister. Yeah. Um, we talked briefly about this and, you know, they still revolve completely around Dawn. But I think what makes Rachel so interesting, other than she challenges Dawn on a professional level, mm-hmm. is that Dawn seems much more committed to the idea of Rachel than he was to Midge. And a lot of times to what he is to Betty, the idea of Betty. Um, I mean, in the big moment of this season, you could argue when he's about to be exposed at the mm-hmm. end of Kennedy versus Nixon by Pete, he runs to Rachel. Right. He's not afraid to be honest with Rachel about his origins, where Betty does not know this. Yeah. I don't know if we know that she doesn't know this. I think we... It's never been... It's never been addressed. revealed. I mean, she's, but she'll say vague things like, he doesn't talk about his family. Right. We do have that scene where she doesn't... She didn't even know, you know, she asked if he had a... A, a nanny mate. growing up. And so, you're like, you really do not know anything yeah. about him because he sure as shit didn't have a nanny so, yeah, or a maid. We don't yeah. know at that point because that's episode two, I think. And we don't get any flashbacks of Don's family until later than that. So oh, once you put it together and think back, you're like, there's no way she knows if she no, asked yeah, that no. question. Yeah. Um, whereas but, he's not afraid to tell Rachel this stuff. It's an interesting uh, counter. But I think we'll find too, though, that we do, like, we see... You know, it's interesting that Don's, like, wife is, like, a placid, demure, blonde. And then the women that he is having affairs with are, like, these, like, you know, super independent, like, call him on his shit brunette gals. Not that the hair color has anything to do with it, but it's just, like, so you are aware the show is putting them in contrast. Right. You know, these are a couple, like, Don likes a different um, type of challenge outside of his marriage. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Specifically looking for not Betty. Yeah. Um, but he also, I mean, you know, we see, and we'll see this in the future, is that he pursues, you know, relationships or, you know, sexual trysts with, like, these women that are more um, independent and challenging. But he, it takes him a while to consider that as, like, a serious relationship. Like, he tells Rachel, he's like, we're going to, you know, run away together. But it's like, he's not going to, like, divorce Betty and marry Rachel. We know that. Like, he still is tethered to expectations, too, at this point. Right, and that's what makes Rachel so interesting, is she immediately recognizes that that's not going to happen when he suggests it. Yeah, she's like, what are you talking about? And she is strong enough to recognize that, acknowledge that to his face, Mm -hmm. and end it to his face. Yeah. She can see, you know, how flaky he is better than he can. Right. And she's like, you're just, you're just scared. Yeah. And that's not why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just really interesting to think of these three women and how they 
push and pull Don in different directions. But all of them show the, that he's not, he's restless. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the show does so well is still lets them be their own characters. Um, to different extents, of course. Yeah. I mean, but, Betty's like an independent main character. Right. You know, but Rachel is yeah, like th- a secondary character this season. I think we'll do another bonus on who the main characters versus peripheral characters are in this show. Because I think that's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. as to who exactly qualifies as what. I do agree that Betty is one of the few main characters. Yeah. The show, I think, got done dirty in being considered an ensemble cast in a lot of ways, and I just don't think that's necessarily no, true. No, there's some that, like, breakout I think stars. that screwed over a lot of the actors in the real awards, but never fear, we'll reward them appropriately <laughs> in our MMEs coming up. Yes. But, so there you have our first... Little power ranking of Don's romantic interests. These lists, I think, are dynamic. Yeah. Um, they're not going to... It's they not like our episode season, list. Yeah. yeah. So we will come back and address a character like Betty, who obviously is going into season two as a main character, and mm-hmm. her character has a chance to move up or down. You know, Midgen, Rachel, we don't know. As a as a freshly watcher watching this show, you whether they'll know. return or... Or not. Or not. So we will... You know, subject to change, but as you see, we're in agreements. Midge at three. I have Betty at two. Christina has Rachel at two. Mm-hmm. And then I have Rachel at one, and Christina has Betty at one. Not to denigrate them, all great performers, all like fascinating characters, all beautiful, all stylish in different ways. Right. Love the ladies. The women drive madmen. Though I love Don, the show would be nothing without them. So yeah. if it was just like a corporate, like dudes shaking accounts out show, I would not watch it. Yeah, no, they, they, I agree. That's why the women get, uh, especially these particular women that yeah. can often be cast away. That's why they get their own bonus episode. They merited a good half hour of discussion. Yes, yes we love them. Mm-hmm. And we can't wait to see what cool. comes in season two. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you at the MMEs.